Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. We're posting this one a little bit early. I usually post them on Mondays, but um, I've kind of got a backlog. I've got uh, three in the can that I want to get out. Um, we've got Brian Zahn, which I'll post probably in the middle of next week. Uh, pastor, author Brian Zahn talking about his new book, which I hope you'll enjoy. And then the week after that, we've got a, <laughs> a fun one with our friend Jamie Wright. Uh, you know her as the very worst missionary. But right now, we've got the uh, local Austin ESPN affiliate morning sports guy, Sean Adams. Some of you recognize him from his work he does on the Longhorn Network. He is uh, a member of the church I'm a part of and a former uh, college All-American athlete. Uh, got an MBA from Georgetown. Uh, real fun guy. We talk a little more sports than I usually get to on the old podcast and... Uh, so if you're not a big sports fan, eh, eh, you should be. We talk more than just sports, though. He's uh, He's got some good stuff to say, which I think you'll enjoy. And um, that's it. So here we go. Sean Adams and myself chopping it up, as Sean would say. No, okay, I can't do that. Okay, then don't record yet. No, write it this down this is a podcast. This is how you just roll with it. I'm not a professional on the, on the air. How am I supposed to say it? I was just going to write it down for you. This is ESPN's 13th. I just screwed it up this time. All right, friends, today we've got my buddy Sean Adams on the mic with us. Welcome, Sean. You know what? I'm happy. And you know what? I'm going to say this. Say it. I like you. You like me? I do. I like you too, man. All right. You're, well, thank, now, backstory, people don't know. You're a sports guy. You're on. Is it the right word? What is the right friend? You know what? I am. I, you know, there'll be, a, there'll be plenty of people that'll tell you. Uh, there's even people in sports that don't probably don't have an appreciation for what I do because I have a, I have a different way of looking at sports. I probably look at it very analytically, mm-hmm. um, very metric driven in some ways, but very soul driven too. Cause I'm a former athlete. Yes. And you know, it's like my coach said when I was in college, he said, you know, those that can do those that can't coach and those that can do neither one of those grab a pen and join the media. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I, I, um, I struggle with a lot of the media. Yeah. So, so being a part of the media is kind of tough for you. It is tough for me because I think there's a – the media's changed over time. And I'm sure you've seen it, mm-hmm. but uh, the media's changed over time. It used to be about the story, tell the story. Yeah. And then even before social media, you did start to see the importance of the media member take control over the story. And I don't know if it could have been avoided because you got people that report on the sports that probably never played. Yeah. They don't know what it's like. Yeah. I've been on a team where we were doing every single thing we could do to win, uh-huh. and it just wasn't coming together. It happened, yeah. If you haven't been there, you probably tend to be cold-hearted towards it. You probably tend to be impatient with it. Mm-hmm. So it's a um, – and then, of course, when social media got involved, you know, it's, it's, it's all about them now. You, you find writers – that have arguments and feuds with coaches. Yeah. And it's supposed to be never about that. It's supposed to be about the story. I care about young people is the reason why I've been in sports. Yeah. And you're always sticking up for the, the young guy. I do. I'm, I always approach everything from an athlete's perspective. I've been a coach. I've been an administrator. Uh, I've been offered coaching jobs on pretty really? big levels. And I just I approach everything from an athlete. I want athletes. Uh, there's a lot of athletes out there that don't understand even the opportunity they're given. When they sign a scholarship, they're usually 
in a lot of cases. And of course, I cover the big dog. I cover the University of Texas. Yeah, so Huckham Horns. Uh, when I'm like that, a lot of kids that come to Texas even, they aren't academically prepared to be there. They let them in school because they're great athletes. Mm-hmm. They're not emotionally prepared to be there mm-hmm. and usually not socially prepared to be there. Uh, and they move from whatever environment they're from into the environment at the University of Texas. And it's usually a shock to them. I can imagine. So when I'm, I'm always trying to, when I'm on campus and when I'm in class, I'm trying to get to the athletes to understand that it's an oyster for you and anything that's there now. And if you leave and you just exhaust your eligibility mm-hmm. and all you got was a bunch of Nike gear and you got to hang out with some co-eds, it's you a- lost. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you, I know. you lost. You got nothing. Okay. Can I tell you what's funny right now? I've heard you say these things on the radio. You have not. I have. I've heard you, you say. You don't listen to my okay, show. Do I've preachers heard, listen to sports radio. Of course, dude. I've texted you during your show, <laughs> oh, talking that's true. to you, and that's then you, true. and then you refer to me as your um, the last time you said you're my spiritual advisor. My spiritual advisor. Yeah. Yeah. Your spiritual advisor. So thank you for that shout out, by the way. So I, I hear you on the radio, and you do a rant about if all you do is go to college and you get some free Nike gear, and then you went on some rant about how. You went to USC recently, and you got a T-shirt, but you don't wear T-shirts because you're too cool for wearing no, a T-shirt. No, but, but something yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I'm not a branded okay, guy. Whatever. I, hey, no shame in that. <laughs> whatever. I ain't going to hate on you because you don't like that. But uh, And so I've – okay, we're part of the same church. Yeah. And so I've listened to you talk more than I've actually ever talked to you. And I think the same is true the other way around. Like Probably. On Sunday morning, you've heard me talk more than you and I have actually talked in person. For sure. Which is kind of weird because I know about you, but it's like – that's the cool thing, though, and I think that's where we're equal because uh, when I run into people on the street, they usually know me. Yeah. I know nothing about them. Yeah. So they start talking to me about my kids. and Which so is creepy. This is fair to me. Yeah, it's fair. Cause now I, this is equal footing. Yeah, because I know about your kids. See? I even saw your son pass out communion on Sunday. I know. Yeah. I was happy. Yeah. I got happy. I get giddy over little stuff. Yeah, you should be. I mean, See, and your kids are little. Here's something. Mm-hmm. Piece of advice. Okay. That a buddy, uh, one of my mentors when I was at ACU told me, mm-hmm. he said, Sean, you're doing all this stuff. You're all American. It's all great. It won't mean a thing when you see your kid do the simplest of things. So I was mm-hmm. happy. I'm watching him do community the other day, and I'm yeah. sitting there going, just don't drop the tray. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> just don't drop the tray. Which is the big concern. Yeah. And I was sitting, I was in, you're on the opposite side of the worship center. I'm on the hallway, kind of like right behind where he was. Right. And at the end, he had one communion tray in his hand. I thought, uh oh, what is he going to do here? He's running a little short on this. But he did fine. He pulled through. He was yeah. great. Yeah. It's good. He's a, he's a great kid. He seems like I a give, sweet kid. I give him grief all the time, but he's a good kid. Okay. Last week, when I made you come on stage for that bit we did with the chairs. Yeah. So before you came on stage, your son was sitting at the very top. And right. I made some joke, and I saw him, like, rolling over laughing. And I thought, the fact that he laughed at my jokes makes me like him. Yeah, and he paid attention. Yeah, he did. They like you, though. They do? They do. Well, that's nice. See? That makes me feel good. It's good to be liked. I kind of don't like him. He's 15, 14. 15. And he's, like, twice my size already. Yeah. So that's a little bad for my <laughs> self-esteem. A little bad for that. He's a good size kid, and he thinks you dress well, too. Well, you know what? He's a, he sounds smarter every He's time. He's savvy. I hear. He's a smart kid, you know? Butter me up. Tell me I dress nice. Which is funny because someone told me that, uh, I think I said this on my podcast already, that my voice wouldn't be so high if my pants weren't so tight. Oh, that's probably true. No, okay. come on, man. I have a high voice, too. And he, <laughs> that was something I had to work on in radio. Really? Because really, really. I tend to, my voice used to get high. Like, I'd run up to the Scooby-Doo, you know? <laughs> yeah. As I got excited, and I've had to learn to bring that down. Really? Everybody I worked with would say, 
Yeah, dude, we got to work on that voice. Bring it down. It sounds great right now. Yeah, see, you, and when I'm sick, I sing bass in church, so it's good. Really? You just, just go low. I have a naturally high voice. That makes me feel so much better about myself. Because another thing we haven't gotten, so our voices kind of both go a little high, mine a little bit higher than yours. Both of us uh, ran track at ACU. Yeah. Now, I, I was a walk-on, and my uh, coach Hood once told me, uh, Luke, you are so slow that grass grows beneath <laughs> your feet when you're running. So there's a different yeah, skill but you were level. you a pole vaulter, too. Yeah. But I also wasn't that good because my coach Hood also, the first time he heard me preach, he said, uh, Luke, it's a good thing you're a better preacher than you were a pole vaulter. <laughs> Which is like, I don't know what that's really saying because I wasn't that good of a pole vaulter. So I don't know what that means. And it's not hard to be. No, I know. It's like being a pretty girl in Scranton. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, that's wrong. No, a but, little bit um, wrong. No, yeah, the, the whole track thing, pole vaulters, that's different mindset. Pole vaulters are like kickers and punters in football. Yeah, exactly. We're specialists. They special, and they kind of hang out by themselves. Exactly, yeah. They work out at different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they're quirky. We don't run 400s. No. No. I used to describe myself in the high school track team as a specialist because I didn't want to have to do the running because yeah. I take 14 steps and then I take a nap. You ran the 200, which I know. Did you run the 400 too? Ever? I ran a two and a four. Oh, those are, those are my main two. 400s a beating. It was, but it was good though. And you know, one of the reasons why I like track and you know, my, my, my daughters played a bunch of sports. My son played a bunch of sports. Your wife? Yes. Volleyball? Yeah, no, uh, uh, track. Oh, she was a track? Now, she was, yeah, rock star track, cross country. Oh, that's right. At ACU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. State champion in Washington in high school, stuff like that. Now, the, the, the thing I liked about track is I didn't have to rely on anybody else. You know, and exactly. When, I, when I'm playing football, you know, I always look at football and say it's the ultimate team sport. Mm-hmm. It's the only sport where I think every player needs every play just to survive. And finally, yeah. You know, when TV got better in the 70s and 80s, we were able to see it. And you're able to see that, that you know, that running back's not really making those yards if these offensive linemen and that wide receiver's not blocking downfield. Yeah. That's the reason why the big play happened. But sometimes when you get let down in that moment, then, of course, okay, I look at track and say, well, this is on me. Yeah. And I eat what I kill. And if I don't work hard, <laughs> I got to own that. And so I thought there was, there's an accountability with track that I think – Worked with my personality. Yeah. So track and my other sport that I was really somewhat proficient in in high school was wrestling. And so those are completely individualistic sports. You're just out there. And if you and if you you're wore back, that bodysuit. Didn't you wore the speed suit when you were in track too? So what's the difference? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's the exact same one. Yeah, but you don't roll around on the ground. You just oh, come on, you just race me. until you cross the finish line <laughs> and then you pull it down and try to look cute. See, <laughs> when I took it, it didn't look as cute. So sorry. The... Uh, yeah, but no, it's the same outfit. It's the it same actually outfit. is. I didn't think about that. No, yeah. I, so I, I once had a uh, UFC champion on, a guy named Rich Franklin. He was a three-time UFC middleweight champion. He was like, so you're a wrestler in a pole bar? I was like, dude, it's the same outfit. And he goes, oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? Complete tie-in. Okay, serious. I got to ask you this. Ask Could me. you do UFC? Could I? I don't – this is what me and Rich Franklin talked about. I said, I don't – he was a high school math teacher, master's degree in education from like Cincinnati or something. Smart guy. And I said, dude, so you gave up teaching to get punched in the face for a living. And he said, no, no, no. I didn't quit to get punched in the face for a living. I quit so that I could punch people in the face. Right. And see, that's a different see, mindset. That's the difference between fishing and catching. Exactly, yeah. So I would think about it getting punched. I, mm, I've, ro- like, I've rolled with guys who had mixed martial arts fights, and I don't have like the I want to like murder you thing, which they have. So that's the difference. 
yeah, I, yeah, that's just, it'd be hard for me to sit out there and you can punch me in the face when my mama watching. Yeah. I, that's tough because it is, we're going to punch until one of us is, is dead. Basically. Incoherent. You can't, I mean, did you see Ronda Rousey? She was, she was out. Out on her feet. And you know she lost to a Church of Christ preacher's daughter. Oh, I know. Isn't that awesome? I know. In the name of the Lord. I know. Praise <laughs> Jesus. The crazy thing about UFC is the bell rings, and they're like, oh, hey, great fight. I love you. Have a great day. I'm like, See, how, I do, can't do that. how do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. I was a wrestler in high school, and there was always something about, uh, like, you just respect the person you're on the mat with. Unless they do something really dirty to you. Then I'm like, don't. I still have your knuckle print in my face <laughs> and now you're shaking my hand yeah 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 yeah. so we didn't we don't want to do that no so so you can never be a mixed martial no. no oh absolutely not i went out to um did my radio show from ufc 162 yeah, you when weidman beat um anderson silva mm-hmm. and i'd never just the one where he broke the leg Anderson's? yes oh i had never been to an event mm. how close were you um i was probably 50 feet away oh okay but i'd, I'd never been to an event mm-hmm. so here's the deal I love UFC fighters. Mm-hmm. When we were out there, uh, we got to watch some of them train. Mm-hmm. The way they train, it's a whole different level of training. It's not like football practice now is different. You got your inside drill. It's heavy. And then you got water. And then you got Gatorade. And then you take some Gatorade chews. And then you go back Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. The training they do is different. Now, here's the other part. I don't want to be around UFC fans for a second. Mm-hmm. The people that are training, the fighters, awesome. Respect them. The, the people in the Affliction and Ed Hardy <laughs> and Tap Out T-shirts. The, the, you know, the 55-year-old with the salt and pepper mohawk. I want none of that. I went to <laughs> UFC 103 in Dallas. And I, I was there. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I saw Roy Williams was there. Big, you know, you, yeah. uh, Cowboys legend. Walked by. I was like, pretty sweet. And then I sat down and started watching the fights. And I was like, no, nah, I'm out. This isn't, this nah. isn't working for me. It's not. The... the Here's, you know, I'm trying to teach my kids. I'm sure you're trying to teach yours. Resolve. Um, You know, victory in the face of defeat. Mm -hmm. Um, Being able to work really hard under duress. Yeah. The fighters show you all of that stuff. It's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why I love sports. Yes. The life lessons that come out of it. It, There's no way I could do it, though. And I don't think I'm I'm not a non-tough guy. (laughs) I'm a... I'm okay in a tough department. I like you said a non-tough guy. There's no way you would have said that on the radio. <laughs> Thank you for that. In the preacher's office, you went non-tough guy. Okay. I mean, it's just... Yeah, you're a tough guy. No, that's just different. Mm-hmm. Is a, it is a different level of... I've always said this. I can never play defense. I was an offensive player in football. You're receiver, right? Yeah. yeah. Because... Oh, I don't care. Defensive players, there's something up there that's just not... Synapses aren't firing right or something. <laughs> because... You have to enjoy running full speed and hitting somebody mm-hmm. and enjoying when it hurts them. Yeah. That... You know, I, I wore number one. I didn't want to get dirty. <laughs> I wore too many wristbands. <laughs> I, wanted, I had the towel in the front, the towel in the Did back. Did you have the shirt tucked underneath it? Yes. Yeah. My to show your ads? Show. Yeah. yeah. Now I got a party ball. So. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, somebody, <laughs> somebody asked me about a year ago. It's like, you play football, right? I was like, yeah. Were you a linebacker? I said, no, I'm just fat now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not fat. You're not fat. That's, yeah. So neither of us really had the killer instinct. That's why I'm not no. a, that's why I'm a preacher, not a cage fighter. See? And that's why you were a wide receiver wearing pretty boy number one jersey. That's perfect. And here's something else for you. Mm-hmm. If you look back, if you, if you just think back to most of the players in a game of football mm-hmm. that get in trouble off the field, 
Most of them defensive. Really? It is, it is hard when you have that mentality yeah. to be aggressive, and it's hard to turn it off. Now, the biggest difference in a guy is probably Reggie White, who was a minister in the pulpit yeah. and one of the best defensive linemen ever. Yeah. But there's a reason why I go right to him and you know who he is because he's kind of lived of in course, isolation yeah. kind of by himself. But, yeah, it's a, there's an aggression that you have to have to play defense to be a UFC fighter that a lot of people just don't have. And yeah. um, unfortunately, some of that stuff is built through an upbringing that's not always positive. Exactly, yeah. Some of the things that make you really good at something can be the very things that kill you. Like, right. It can be terrible for you. Like, you, <clears throat> like Jordan. So uh, I've never, like, I don't know Michael Jordan, but the rumors are like he has this killer work ethic that he never wants to lose. He has this competitive streak in him that is like uncomparable to anyone else. But like how do Jordan's you remember, a jerk. Yeah, but how do you turn that off? Do you remember his Hall of Fame speech? As a 50-year-old, he's calling out the guy who got picked for the basketball team when he was like 15 over him. And he's like, can't let it go. Yeah, you, and that's what makes him great is that he can't let it go, but it kills him off the field. That's what I've said. I've said to people, and it's one of the reasons why great players are usually bad coaches. They expect everybody to do yeah. exactly the way they did it. And Magic Johnson lasts like twelve games because right. he couldn't do that. He couldn't even do a radio a TV show. <laughs> Remember that bad TV show he did, a fake Arsenio Hall, the yes. Magic Johnson Hour. No, that was um, not pretty. If you look at the best players, and I, I, I warn parents all the time. We're like, my kid's gonna be the next Tiger Woods, dude. Don't do that. You don't want to. Do you know what Tiger Woods is like? There you is a. There is a level of commitment. You know, everybody wants to talk about work-life balance, but mm-hmm. in order to be really, really successful at a lot of stuff, you have to have the ability to be imbalanced. Guys like Tiger Woods, imbalanced. 2000 U.S. Open, he's the only one in red at Pebble Beach, and he's up by, what, 10 strokes after the third round? And you know what? He's out there with lights, hitting golf balls Jeez. after the third round because something went wrong. And he missed something on the last two holes. Mm-hmm. That way of thinking is corrosive to mentality. Yeah. So it's, it's great in that area, but mm-hmm. it's a struggle in a lot of other areas. And that's why you see a lot of athletes who are largely successful in one thing struggle in many other areas. I've struggled with the balance thing. I've, working has always been one of my crutches. Really? And again, I had great parents. I had a, we didn't have much money. We were very common people, laborers. And I ended up, because of sports and going to ACU even in some cases, I ended up being around people with stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the drawbacks of not growing up with stuff, you know, you got food to eat, you got clothes. We went to, we had, uh, uh, they developed our faith. Parents were great. Yeah. But since we didn't have stuff, one of the first things I wanted when I started working, I finished graduate school, I'm working, I want stuff. Yeah. So I'm working, and I'm working, and I got to get promoted. We got bonuses. I'm in a corporate space. You want to get a car. Bonuses coming yeah. out in March, and I want this, and I want a bigger house, and I want this, and I, I want to drive this kind of car. Yeah. And, I mean, oh, we can get deep. I don't even care. Come on now. It was probably, my son was born the day before our third anniversary, and I'd be willing to bet you probably four months later, Karen goes, dude, we got to talk. Really? He's like, and she gave me the, the real, the real talk kind of saying, Hey, I think you're a good dude and you're a good man, but it's because you spent a lot of time with your family and you spent time with your kids and you did this and mm-hmm. you did this. Our kids don't need a lot of stuff. They don't need you got to And she was trying to tell me dial back to work, dude, you're going to be fine. Really? But, How did so, you hear that? Did you hear, uh, were you mad? 
No, I wasn't mad. I heard it, and I think I knew it. I did have great parents. I did. Yeah. Um, I, I, my dad's only way of having an extra lever for income, he's a bus driver, he would just take extra shifts. Yeah. And all those extra shifts and the, the charter drives that he drove is actually what got me into sports because I come from a very musical family. No athletes. Really? All musical. My dad, background singer for this group and this group. He's singing background for Sly and the Family Stone here, and he's doing this, all this crazy stuff. I was the only athlete. But it was through his bus driving, and he would take the Oakland A's to the airport and the Raiders to the airport, and I would end up riding with him and meeting people, and we would go to Oakland Raiders training camp, and people liked my dad, so he started lifting weights with a couple of the Raiders guys. Really? And after a while, you know, and a lot of my upbringing, I ended up being around a lot of athletes, and that's kind of where I found my way. Really? So, um, you know, I, I think I received it well when mm -hmm. she talked to me about it, but everybody, everybody goes through that kind of stuff. You know, it, it's one of the drawbacks. You know, yeah. when you don't have stuff, if you can't rein that stuff in, yeah, it'll destroy you. Yeah, and that's what we deal with all the time. We're, I, we're dealing with athletes who, who don't know how to turn it off, and that's why I'm always saying about the Tiger Woods, the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryant's. I mean, ask Steve Kerr how much he likes Michael Jordan. Yeah, he's the one that got punched in the, the face, face in practice. Yeah. So I mean. There's a grinder's mentality that will make you great in one area, and it's corrosive. It'll Look at Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas was a great basketball player. He is basically burned down every other thing he's ever touched. <laughs> yeah, the New York Knicks fans are still haven't forgiven him. Yeah, they've disowned him in New York. But you, you make a good point. Like there's <clears throat> like the, the story of the guy who gets his job, and then he starts going. I've had this conversation probably three times in the last month of guys who went through that same cycle. Like they get really going in life, they get some success, they make things happen, and then they have a significant other who says, hey, this, this isn't working out for me. You've got to make a change. Like that's, that's normal. And, you, and what I like about you on your radio show is you talk about this kind of stuff. It's not just, hey, X's and O's. You know, the, the UT really needs four extra defensive tackles to want to play the one, and then we need a three technique. You know, you don't just, like you do a lot of like culture stuff. And in some ways you seem to use like sports as the like the groundwork to talk about like the bigger cultural issues. Do you think that's a fair? I hope so. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to do. And yeah. um, I've I've tried to be that way. And I tell people all the time, dude. If you want me to, I can break down what Texas is going to do when OU goes to a five wide receiver set. But you probably want to listen to somebody else. That's not really what I do. That's not your thing. Because I think the mental side is still the side that people don't understand. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why Mac Brown can come in. And after the 97 season when Texas, when Texas has four wins and they turn around and go to a bowl game the next year. That's crazy. Lou Holtz did the yeah. same thing at Notre Dame. He did the same thing at Minnesota. Harbaugh did that last year? Harbaugh did it last yeah. year. Um, Bob Stoops came in with the recruits that John Blake had at Oklahoma. A couple mm -hmm. years later, national championship. Yep. And there's something to be said about driving people to greatness. And it's almost like, it's almost like raising kids. Mm -hmm. you can, you can, I've always figured I can be as hard on my kids as I want to be as long as I love them the same level. Hmm. And I've also figured I could always raise the expectations on my kids as high as, I, as high as we need them to be, as long as I support them and help them with the resources to reach them. Hmm. So yeah. and I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we do that enough with kids now. Really? I mean, we're too busy trying to be friends. Hmm. Sometimes you just got to be daddy. People be... got mad at me on my radio show. People called in when really? I said, I don't really care if my kids like me. What did they say to you? Well, they, uh, I think you, you got to do better than that. And your kids need to love you. And, oh, a lady calls in and goes, um, my, 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 my daughter's my best friend. I was like, oh, okay. I don't agree with that. 
I'm not my kid's friend. My, kid, my kid's got done, tons of friends. They need a friend. He's dad. Only gets one dad to get a ton of friends. Yeah. yeah. And I hope, you know, my dad passed away in 97, but my mom, we have great relationship, talk three, four times a week. I feel like we're friends now. Yes. I'm 44 years old. She's 72. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're friends now. When, when I was growing up, there was no friends. Yeah. So I look at my kids and they say, you know what? If you don't like me right now, I get it. I told my parents that, you know, my dad used to always tease, well, my kids get plenty of vitamin N. No. (laughs) (laughs) I used to always say, come on, man, you you don't let me go anywhere. And I get it. It was because of where we lived at the time and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And um, he was trying to make sure things took place and that my priorities were ordered. He was trying to order my steps. Hmm. So um, I didn't like him. I was like, dude. I'm going to be horrible socially. I'm never going to have any friends. I'm never going to do any stuff because you, all you guys do is tell me no. So at many times in my youth, I didn't like my parents mm-hmm. at all. But you know what? I got to around 18 and I left to go to college and I was like, wow, I they were right about that. Hmm. And then I got to about 21. I was like, wow, they were, a lot of, they were right on a lot of stuff. Yep. I got to about 30, had my own kids. And I was like, boy, those jokers were dialed in. I know they? what's going on. Yeah. It's amazing how dumb your parents get when you're a teenager, but like you get in your 20s, it's like, oh, wow, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's right on. That's so good. So you're trying to talk about that, and obviously you get some pushback on that. Not everyone wants to hear, hey, you actually need to be a dad. You don't just need to be a best friend. You don't need to be just your, you know, someone to go shopping. You actually need to be a mom and say no to your kids. Okay, so that's hard. You talk about that kind of stuff. Today you're talking about the uh, the Baylor issue. I don't know issues, kind of scandals, probably a better yeah, word. Yeah, probably. Where the... Allega- allegations? Is it- well, it's proven. Tevin Ehlers got 20 years in front of him. So, I mean, oh, gosh. that's conviction. So, there's two athletes from Baylor. They kind of... Samu Kawachu and Tevin Elliott uh, ran afoul of the law. And look, and the one thing I tried to make the point of this morning is that every, every school, every place, every place you work, it's going to have bad people. Sometimes they make it through the cracks. They're, they're smart people. Mm-hmm. And the only thing you can do is when things go south... It's handling the right way. It's yeah. the Tylenol scare. When, yeah. you, when you have something horrible happen, you got to be decisive and you got to be swift. Mm-hmm. And then you got to roll with it. Yeah. Uh, Blue Bells tried to deal with that in the last few months the same way. My beloved Chipotle went through that as well. Exactly. I, it's too soon to talk about that one, but you know what happened. <laughs> so, you got to make a decision. You got to do something. And it didn't look like Baylor did the right. Right. And, and that's the hard thing for me because it, it, I got a 14-year-old daughter. And when she's ready to go to college, <sighs> I'm like, the only thing I can ask is that you – Make the campus safe yeah. and not make decisions based on things outside of that. So um, I'm hoping that, you know, the eyes are open to it. The, the struggle is if you don't change people on staff that allowed it to get to a corrosive point earlier, mm-hmm. then I don't know how you don't just fall back into a laissez-faire attitude that allows you to, uh, you know, act cavalier and make your decisions based on hoisting trophies and raising money. Yeah. So. Um, I, I love I love dealing with athletes. I love dealing with college athletes. I laugh sometimes. You know, some of the advice my dad. You know, when I was when I was leaving to to actually go to ACU, he was giving me the advice and kind of saying, "Hey, here's the deal. I'm a bus driver. You're already smarter than me. Don't go down to ACU and just go hang out with the black kids and the other football players. Hmm. You better mix it up." If you're going to be a business major, you better hang out with business majors. Those are going to be the people that will help you get jobs later. Those will be the people that will be your networks of support. 
and bonds of affection. I can't really help you in that department. You're smarter than me. He's very self-aware, dude. I think he was. That's smart. Why do you say don't just hang out with the black kids? Well, because that's what most kids do. Side note, Sean is black. Oh, yeah. People can't tell. My bad. Person of color (laughs) um, on the radio here. No, uh, I think that's what people do. And that's what I'm trying to encourage people uh, everywhere. I mean, there are people, and this this goes beyond race and this exact concept. There are people that go to a school like Texas or Michigan or North Carolina or Texas A&M, anywhere. And they go, they're athletes. They compete for four or five years. They graduate. They get a good degree from a good school. And the only people they know are people they competed with hmm. because they hung out with nothing but athletes. Every, you, you see them in pods going around campus. They're all yeah. wearing UT uh, The T-shirts which you wouldn't wear, yeah. And or they're, all wearing, you know, they're all doing that when really if you want to that, – that's why I like Vanderbilt's athletic model. They have a – they don't even have a director of athletics. They have a vice chancellor for athletics. He's in the administration building. Hmm. And – they are not down with athletic dining halls and athletic dorms. You are interdispersed around the school. They may not send as many people to the NFL. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you they send better professionals into the workforce. I think the Chicago Bears might debate about that when they got yeah. Jay Cutler. That's but, just one. But David Price has done great. He's done great. He's done really good things. And we love Vanderbilt because friend of the show, Becca Stevens, is the chaplain there. And See? so we like to think it's a lot of a lot of her responsibility for that. And, and you don't know who Becca gr- Stevens is, but she's awesome. It's a great academic setting, too. It's wonderful. Okay, let's talk about something you tweeted out uh, last week. It was the Cam Newton stuff about how he dances too much. Okay, so this is – we're going to post this right after the Super Bowl. So we're really excited that the <clears> – one, <throat> great game. Who would have thought it out, worked out that way? <laughs> wonderful game. Yeah, way to go. That touchdown that, at the end was awesome. That was awesome. In that time, they tackled person. Okay, but um, Cam Newton, who was starting in the Super Bowl, which, by the way, you didn't get to go to this year, but you actually said you're excited that you didn't have to go to the game this year. Yeah, um, I even say I kind of got out of going Yeah, that's what you said, got out of going. (laughs) Yeah, only because this is probably the most important recruiting class in the last 10 years at the University of Texas. Mm -hmm. And National Signing Day is on Wednesday. We would have had to be out there Saturday. Yeah, maybe days tonight. I'd have missed this whole whole week. Mm -hmm. And... That's the other thing, too. You don't want to be on Radio Row at the Super Bowl talking about recruiting back in Austin. Yeah, so it probably worked out best. Mm-hmm. I like that the most important thing is not the Super Bowl, but the recruiting class for the. <clears throat> I have to work to my market, you know? I like that. Which I, I listened to you partly because I need to figure out more about recruiting classes in Texas Longhorn football because I don't know as much as I do about the Cowboys. So thank you for helping and you me. You got to make your jokes. I do, yeah. I, have I made any Texas jokes? No, not no. yet. I'm waiting. I had there was a joke I was going to do about you know a guy from Denton moving down to Austin and having some success, but um, the quarterback hasn't done enough successful yeah. things to make that joke that really work. Been a, yeah, could have used it right after the Cal game. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> like, oh yeah, he's doing great. He's from Denton. I am too. Okay, going back to the <clears throat> Cam thing. Okay, so Cam, he gets blasted for being a showboat for dancing, all the stuff which you find Aaron Rodgers doing the exact same thing, but Cam gets it. And you go, why does that happen? How, it's, it's 2016. Like, are we, why are we still talking about this one quarterback getting extra pressure than other quarterbacks because of the color of his skin? Like, he's the best football player in the world right now. He's like the, like the ideal, like he's a good-looking guy who's working with the fans, gives footballs after every touchdown, goes and does. Got a smile the size of Texas. It's huge. He's a huge figure. He does great things in the community. Mm -hmm. And they're still talking about 
his dancing. I mean, seriously. Yeah. The, the, Why the, does that happen? The weird part about that, and if you want to look at Celebration, it's Aaron Rodgers and a discount double check. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Brent State Farm. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if you look at that, and Tom Brady is a very emotional guy. He's out there standing up, putting his first down mm-hmm. arm out. And the weird part about I've always looked at Cam Newton weird because it starts out with his owner, Jerry Richardson, when he was about to draft him, saying, hey, um, you know, we'd like to draft you, but no tattoos. And, you know, he, he starts that? laying down all the rules for him, no tattoos and uh, earrings and all kinds of stuff trying to put rules on him. Oh, goodness. And I think in some ways the expectations might be different. Um, the, the allowing of behavior might be different. And the way I look at it, and Peter King said this, so I'm I'm not original with it. He said, in a day and age right now when football's taking a beating, I mean, there are there are moms and dads at home saying, I don't know if I'm letting my kids play. Adrian Peterson, Troy Aikman, all these professional athletes have said, I'll never let my kids play football. Football's taking a beating in that setting. A concussion movie is out. Crime is everywhere. People are doing crazy things. I mean, yeah. Over the last few years, domestic abuse and, and the, the, the light it kind of put on the sport. Yeah. All these things taking place. And you're going to get on a guy for actually having fun. It, it, Somebody was, uh, Peter King said, it seems like he plays with the unbridled joy of a 12-year-old. Yeah. I don't know how you argue with that. I, so I don't know. I, uh, I, he's totally changed my mind about him. I I had some interactions with him uh, a few years ago when the Super Bowl was in New Orleans when the Ravens played the 49ers. Mm -hmm. And on Radio Row the week before the game, he seemed a little smug. He seemed a little arrogant, kind of with the fansome. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It's probably me. uh, But I've totally changed my mind on that dude. He is – he's having fun. And the other thing is the only thing that matters is how his teammates perceive him. And And he's having fun with them Mm -hmm. on the sideline and they're dancing and dabbing. I'm like, man, if you can, if you can do your job and do your craft and this is you as a, as a pastor or me as a, a media personality, if you can do your craft and, and support your family and support yourself and have that much fun at the same time, I'm down with it. Could could I throw a dab in every once in a while during my sermons you if can. I make a good point? I think just you can. Just throw it down like, yeah, that See? was good. I think that would work well. I think it'd be great. Okay. All right, can we talk about something else? Can we talk about my Cowboys for a second? Uh, Jarrah. So um, Jera. we got rid of DeMarcus Ware and basically <laughs> replaced that salary with Mr. Hardy, who yeah. was also on the Panthers, who's not there anymore, and they're now in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, Hardy's a grease fire. And then uh, – DeMarcus Ware is playing in the Super Bowl also for a different team called the Broncos. Um, and it seemed like that was not the ideal move. So when you look at a situation like that, where you have this super talented player, he's a young guy, plays a premium position, and he has the skill set that is probably like the second or third most valuable commodity in the NFL, like being a quarterback and then getting the quarterback, probably the two, maybe blocking the quarterback, top three, whatever. So very valuable player. And get him for a discount, and you bring him in, Jerry's thinking, okay, I'm going to make a steal because I'm not paying him much money. He's a huge asset to our team. But he's done these terrible things. How do you, how do you think people should understand that as sports fans? Because on the one hand, you go, we're not bringing this guy in to be a youth pastor. Like, he's not here right. to work with our kids. He's got a role. But on the other hand, like, tip of the hat to old Charles Barkley. Like, people are role models. You're setting a precedent for what's acceptable in society. Where do you balance those two things? Yeah, the, the hard thing when you're dealing with bringing somebody in, the, the initial question is, 
can I trust him? If I'm Jerry Jones, I'm saying, can I trust him in the star? Okay. Now, I think, there were, I think there were some football fundamental mistakes that Jerry made. I think football is the quarterback, rushing the quarterback, mm-hmm. and blocking for the quarterback. And everything starts there. Yeah. So I sounded smart when I said that, didn't yes. I? Yes. So mm-hmm. I'm not paying a whole bunch of money to Des Bryant. I'm not. He's like a home run hitter in luxury cars. <laughs> Beautiful yeah. to look at, not very functional. But you're not going to give it to Murray either, DeMarco right. Murray. Right. I'm not giving it to DeMarco Murray So that was the right move, either. not paying him? In, uh, in some ways, it was the right move. Now, here's the difference with that, but now I'll get back to the other point. DeMarco Murray was the best running back in the league, and the offensive line was the best offensive line in the league. Mm-hmm. And when they're not together... You know, we talked about earlier, football being an ultimate team sport. Mm-hmm. When they're not together, neither one of them are as good. They weren't. The really. offensive line gave up some stuff this year. DeMarco Murray looked very pedestrian in bad. Philadelphia. Very bad. So, um, so, yeah, so I think that means something. But when you're bringing somebody in, and, you know, Dale Hansen in Dallas at WFA, he was a friend of mine, he, he had this stuff to say when they signed Pac-Man Jones, and it was, it was all great stuff. Mm-hmm. But you're not bringing people in. To be a youth pastor. You're really not. But Pac-Man, but, wasn't it like marijuana? That was his issue, not it was marijuana, domestic but violence? People, but people got shot oh, around that's that right. at the, the club strip, in Vegas. In the club. Yeah. yeah. In the, I'm sorry. The script club. In the, the script. The, I, need, I don't even script? know what that is. The script club. Okay. <laughs> but um, I don't know if the word script club has ever been said in the preacher office before. Oh, so that's sorry. very exciting. No, it's, it's a first. I'm sorry. Write that down. Day number 17 in the job. Script club. Day number 18, packing up, looking for a new job. Okay, good. Okay. No, I think, uh, so I think, your guy Dale had some bad things to yeah, say. I when think when you're bringing in. people in, you're trying to balance production versus the ability to toe the line. Mm-hmm. Now, in college football, it's very different because you're trying to develop young men. So you're mm-hmm. willing to give second chances. and Because they're kids? Uh, because they're younger and yeah. they're still developing. I, my mom would tell you. She wished she had me for another year. I left. I was a young senior. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. You know, even I have thrown out there sometimes when you treat them as kids. Look, if, if you can go die for your country, I don't want to hear that you're a kid. That's good. But in, in some cases, I look at them. They're still developing. And I think people, people get to college and they're trying to find themselves. I yeah. kind of think I knew who I was. But some of these players are coming to campus and they're trying to find themselves. So I think that's very different mm-hmm. than the professional ranks. In the professional ranks... First thing I need you to do is be a pro. Yeah. And the other thing, when you're dealing with pro teams, many pro teams, the Roonies in Pittsburgh, the Browns in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. um, these, are, these are family businesses. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason why I didn't get really upset when Richardson started talking about Cam Newton before he drafted him because he had some of this stuff. And I'm like, the quarterback is the face of the franchise. Yeah. And, you know, Dan Hawkins, former Colorado coach, says, I will throw the ball to a dope. I will hand the ball to a dope, but I won't snap it to one. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So they, there are different expectations it's on the like quarterback. You, you can have a worship leader who's like full of himself yeah. and just talks about how like he's got a commercial on for State Farm. That's right. fine, but you can't have the preacher doing that. No, you can't. Same thing. Different expectations. Yeah, yeah. So with Cam, there's that they should have treated him, but, but he's not like Hardy. He's not like – there's no. they're not even in the same ballpark. He had a few little scuffles in uh, college, which were little blemishes on the old career. Now, here's the hypocrisy of society where we are right now, because mm-hmm. we have become a society very anti-church. Okay. So here's the, here's the rub in hypocrisy. Okay. When anybody can say the most heretical, crazy things you ever want to hear, 
And people would say, well, that's free speech. That's free speech. Mm-hmm. But if Tim Tebow says, well, I'm, I'm so happy the Lord kept me healthy today. Quit shoving Jesus down my throat. Yeah. All of a sudden, he doesn't have the autonomy of free speech. Yeah. So that's where we, that, that's where we are now. Mm-hmm. So if, if you think about it this way, I used to laugh. I, I think I even had some Tebow fatigue. But I sat there and said, would you rather hear about him or Pac-Man? Yeah. Would you rather about him or Greg Hardy? So people aren't really, people are complaining in the day and age where we got domestic abuse in the NFL running rampant. We're trying to figure out if they can test for HGH. They're trying to figure out if they can find a living test for CTE where guys are killing themselves um, over the continued hits. You got the concussion movie out. You have all these things that really need focus, and you're complaining about cam dancing. Stop it. Yep. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. Get your priorities straight. dude. What are you doing? Yeah, it, it seems like there's more things to talk about. I think we have more things to talk about. Do we have more th- do we have more things to talk about? I think. I don't I, know. How are we doing on time? We're doing good here. Okay, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Okay, so we were talking one time. There was a guy showed up and from some other church in town. He said, "Yeah, sometimes I go to that church, and it uh, it's a predominantly African American church." Yeah. And you say you go there sometimes, and I feel like I had this conversation with you, or maybe I was talking to Brent. And he might have said something about this, but he said, uh, or maybe I thought you said that you you want to raise your kids because Westover is predominantly a white church. Yeah. And you want your kids to see uh, African-American leadership, people of color leading in church yeah. as a way to be a role model for what you want your kid to be like. Yeah, and not, not only from that standpoint, I need to see. Okay, I'll give the the opposite of what my folks did. Okay. Uh, I grew up, when I was born, we lived in an all-black neighborhood mm-hmm. in Oakland. We went to all-black church. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I wasn't in school yet, but my brother and sister are all-black schools. Okay. Um, my parents decided, you know what? We need our kids to be able to be around all people and be comfortable yeah. and thrive. Mm-hmm. And they made a conscious decision that the only lever they had at the time, it's funny, when I was getting my passport years ago, I got my birth certificate and under my birth certificate on parents, it said teacher's aid for my mom and repairman for my dad. So we were very common folk, yeah. but the only lever they had at that time was to change churches. Couldn't really change the neighborhood yet. Hmm. Couldn't really change the schools yet. Um, but that was a lever. Okay. So we started driving across town to a predominantly white church. Really? Um, I, and it's weird because I almost feel like in some ways I'm doing the exact opposite now. And so my, my kids go to predominantly white school. Um, there's more diversity there. Yeah, because you have uh, Asians in you know mm-hmm. different influxes, but there's hardly any socioeconomic diversity. It everybody's kind of if you got a Dries home, you go to the school, <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of yeah. all the same. Gotcha, and, gotcha. And it, it's it's weird because I think there's a little bit more at the high school now, but at least at the middle school where my son went, where my daughter still goes, it doesn't even draw from a mobile home park, an apartment complex. It is all homes. And so there's not much socioeconomic diversity there, which I think in a lot of cases is actually the bigger indicator of what's going on. Really? Um, so I, I do that because I want my kids to I want my kids to be part of a bunch of different stuff. I need them to make friends. I need them to understand um, that I want them to be comfortable in every setting. I ran into people. One of the reasons why I do that, too, I ran into people at ACU 
who grew up in a different environment than I did, and they weren't comfortable in certain environments. So I'd be around white folks that weren't comfortable around black people because they never had to be around them. And then I, I played sports and hung around with black folks who would ask me because I was in the business school and they'd see me in some study, some study group in the bean or something. They're like, Man, why are you hanging out with them white people? Because they weren't comfortable with it because they'd never done it. Now, when I go home with him to Sulphur Springs and place like that, <laughs> totally get it. You don't want to go to Sulphur Springs. Texas. I'm not fooling around. I've been there. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm trying to do, I want my kids to be comfortable in every single setting. You, mm. can, you can put me on the east side of Austin and playing dominoes in the front yard. I'm having a blast. Mm. And you can put me at a benefit with a bunch of millionaires. I'm having the same good time. So I want my kids to be in that kind of setting, but I kind of have to create it for them. Oh, dude, that's me. Sorry about that. No, I have to kind of create it for them because we don't have it naturally. Yeah, that makes sense. I get that. I get that. I think you want your kids to be able to have comfortability in every situation. Yeah. You can't do that other than just put yeah. them in it. Be who you are. Yeah. Know who you are. Um, be comfortable with yourself. I tell myself all the time, and I stole this from T.D. Jakes, where I kind of always say your first identifier is your faith, mm -hmm. period. You, you, you have your faith before you're male. You have your faith before you're black. Mm -hmm. You have your faith before you're this. You have your faith before you're tall. You have your faith before you're an athlete. And if you frame it like that, I mean, let's be honest, if everybody framed it like that, we wouldn't have half the problems we have nowadays. Yeah. But um, so I'm, I'm trying to help that along because I don't want them to be shocked at some point when they get in certain environments like I've seen other people. So it's the only thing I can do. Um, I don't think it's, you know, we talked about kids. I don't think it's my role to be their friend. I don't think it's my role to um, to try to set them up for success. It's my role to try to equip them to manage themselves and go after the gifts that they've been given. That's good. That's good. And you've done well because obviously your your kids are smart. They respect uh, my fashion style and uh, <laughs> they like my jokes. So I feel like if you need to indicate winning. the success of your parenting, I think that's it right there. Sean, this has been fun. Thanks yeah, for coming man. on. Absolutely. Man. Yeah. And uh, I feel like you kind of had to come on since I kind of am your preacher. Did yeah, you, it's not did, like I can say no. You didn't really have an option. No. Like, he's going to call me out in church if yeah, I don't do this. He calls me. I'm like, yeah, you got to go. It's the preacher. Yeah, he says, be here. And you're like, huh, okay. No, man. Hey, in all honesty, though. Be honest. You're a good dude, man. Oh, stop. And, no, I'm serious. And I, I, I dig the lessons. And I like Kevin. He's I like Kevin yeah, a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, but I, 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 dig, I dig the stories. I dig the realism. Well, so Thanks, man. That's good. Can I tell you uh, an honest story? I told a, a story about the uh, remember the, the game where the Browns and the Ravens were playing like Monday night and the Browns were trying a game winning like a 50 yard field goal. The Ravens block it, ran it back for the touchdown. Right. Okay. Uh, I did. I played that clip in a sermon and I like I talked use as an illustration. And I was like, so glad you weren't there because I thought I'd like <laughs> like botch the play by play with an actual up, media. Come on. Uh, it was actually 53, not 52. <laughs> and uh, if you didn't know, it's a field goal formation. Yeah, so thanks for not being there that Sunday. No, man, it's good. All right, dude. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.